All right. Good morning, everyone. How y'all doing today? Good? Got some life in the house. We're excited. We're good. It's all good and glad to be here. So um, we've got an exciting morning for us. Uh, I'm going to start off just with some announcements, and then we're going to have a time of... Uh, child dedication. So we got two little ones right up here who are going to get dedicated to the Lord. So we're going to uh, bring the families up in just a moment. But before we get there, just have a few announcements for you. So um, first off, uh, Easter is just around the corner. And if you probably saw, we have these flyers as you were coming in. Grab a nice stack of these. Keep these in your back pocket when you're going around and you see a friend or a coworker or um, Keep them in your car. Just These are great opportunities for you to just hand this and invite someone to Easter. It has all the information here on the back. So we've got Sunday, April 17th. We've got an outdoor service for Easter. It's at 10 a.m., which is our normal service time. And we got 500 chairs. So we've got to fill them, right? We've got to fill them. So there's about 300 chairs in here. So that means we need about 200 more people, right? So let's invite, let's bring friends and family, and, and we're going to be spreading the love of Jesus because he's alive. Amen? Amen. So, um, but leading into the resurrection, we know what Jesus did uh, just prior to that, how on a Friday he died on a cross for our sins. And so on Good Friday, which is the 15th, we're going to have a service here at 7 p.m. We'll have um, kind of a different kind of service where we'll have um, sort of a tag team preaching team, you know, tap in, tap out, and we'll go through the word together, and we'll have some worship interspersed throughout that. So come at 7 p.m. on Friday for Good Friday service. Then we're kind of going forward, then back, then over. We're going to do the Sunday after Easter. We're going to have a baptism Sunday again. And so if you haven't been baptized, um, you're going to want to be part of that. So um, we have uh, a great time plan. So we set up right here a baptism tank, and you get dunked in the name of Jesus. Who's been baptized in this church? Yes, so many. It's so good. And so just so thankful for what God's doing in our midst, the salvation that he's bringing, and if you want to make that public declaration of faith through baptism. Now, um, that's our announcements. W one more, actually. Um, Men, on May 21st, mark your calendars, there's a men's conference in Santa Barbara at Calvary Chapel Santa Barbara. We're going to take a crew up there. We'll carpool together May 21st. Mark your calendar for that. It's a Saturday, um, and it'll be a good time. So some of us did it last year, and it was really fun. All right, now we're going to get to the child dedications. And just as I talked about how we're going to have a baptism service uh, in a couple of weeks, um, we don't baptize children in... Uh, this church, children that can't make a decision for themselves of their faith. We believe that baptism is those who are believers, those who have made a profession of their own faith in Jesus Christ to be baptized. We want these little ones to get baptized at a certain point, but until that point, when they make their own personal decision of faith in Jesus, we're going to dedicate them unto the Lord, sort of like how Hannah dedicated Samuel to the Lord, and, and even as Mary and Joseph dedicated Jesus before the Lord um, in his birth. So we're going to do that now. So families come on up and all of our pastors, our elders, if you can come too, we're going to start this time. You guys ready? Look at these little ones. This is Lane. Look at Lane. 
We've got Percy and Miley. Come on over, guys. Hey, buddy, where'd you get that? Because I could really dress up a little bit better. I just, you know, I got jeans and a black shirt. You guys would be okay if I wore that on a Sunday? That should be my Easter outfit. Where'd you get it? Okay. Oh, sorry. And we got Jimmy and Jeanne, and we've got Storm. How's that for a name? My goodness. These little ones. So, um, yes, so exciting. So, we uh, asked these families um, as they would search through the scriptures to find verses that they would want to read before this congregation because this is a family activity. You as a congregation, as a family of believers, are also dedicating to pray for these families. And these scriptures are going to bring about the certain reminders of how we want to be praying for them and how we want to be dedicating them to the Lord. So um, we've got some microphones. We are just going to hand these to you. And dads, if you want to read these verses that you've chosen for your little ones. So. Go for it, Jimmy. Is that on? Testing. Yeah. All right. Um, well, my name is Jimmy. Um, this is my wife, Jan. Now, my son's name is Storm Elijah on. And um, he's about four months old, and um, he has two sisters and a brother. Um, it's a big family, um, and um, he's fun. He's a handful sometimes, but um, yes. he's, um, he loves to laugh, and um, it's been a joy. It's been a blessing to all of us. Um, yeah, so um, we chose his name Storm because it has a strong meaning to it, and it's powerful. Um, for his middle name, Elijah, um, it actually came from a prophet known for defending the worship of God and performing miracles in God's name. And we have two verses. Um, first, Samuel 127, for this a child I prayed, and the Lord has granted the desires of my heart. And our second verse, Jeremiah 29:11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Amen. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks, Jimmy. Go for it, Percy. My name is Percy, and this is my wife, Miley, and this is our baby boy, Elaine. And um, his middle name is Keone, which is actually, which means God is gracious in Hawaiian. Um, and I just wanted to honor my wife's heritage in Hawaii, and her, mo- her mother and her sister are also here, and um, she was, her mother was actually a great big part in choosing his name as well. Um, and yeah, Elaine is just, he's eight months today, and um, it's just growing and just, it's just a, a joy to be his father and to be her husband. Um, so we have two verses today uh, from Deuteronomy 11, uh, verses 18 through 19, which says, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. And the reason that stood out to me is that we should be setting Examples for him um, in taking him on this path of righteousness, but as Pastor Daniel emphasized, it'll be a personal decision when he comes to the age. So yeah. we can only set that model for him. Amen. But um, so excited to dedicate him today, alongside little baby Storm. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Likewise. So fun. Awesome. Well, Pastor Benkai is going to pray over you guys, and uh, and church, let's extend a hand over these little ones in the name of Jesus.
Lord God, we thank you for this morning. Uh, Father, we thank you for these two families that want to dedicate their children unto you, Lord God, uh, as a step of faith. Father, you've given them a blessing, and here they are uh, laying their crowns down and giving that blessing back to you. Father, we pray uh, for Storm. We pray for uh, the heart of boldness, Father, as his middle name states, Father, that you would give him a spirit like Elijah, Lord God. We pray that he would grow up uh, in the love and admonition of his family. We pray, Lord God, that um, you would um, surround them with people who would give them, share your truth and love with them, Lord God. We pray that they would be speaking their word, uh, your word, into his life. We pray that he would grow up, Lord God, strong uh, with a desire and a spirit, Lord God, to go out and to be a representation of Christ in this world, Lord God, that he would be uh, with the spirit of Elijah bold in declaring that you are truly God. And Father, we thank you for uh, his parents, Jimmy and Gian. We thank you, Father, for their faith in taking the step of dedication. Father, would you empower them uh, to, to live out that faith, Lord God, not only in the teaching of their child, but then in allowing him to be what you have called him to be, that they would release him unto you, Lord God. And Father, we pray the same for Miley and Percy. We thank you for their faith and their love that they brought a little lane here today, Lord God. Father, they have given him a middle name that reminds them that you truly are gracious, that Lane is a blessing unto them from you, Lord God, and they want to lay him at your feet, that he would become a blessing in your kingdom. Father, we pray that you would strengthen them, Lord God, to speak your truth, your word um, into his life, Father, that uh, they would, from his, his very youngest days, that he would be aware of your grace, Lord God, and your love and that he would live out that grace and love all of his days. Father, we pray as a church to be faithful, to come around them. Father, that we would, um, that we would be uh, shepherds in their lives, to help guide, to help protect, to help teach the word of God, to raise up these children, Lord God, to stand with them as they stand firmly upon your strong foundation. Father, we pray for these two young men, that you would knit their hearts together, dedicated on the same day. May they grow up. Uh, in this body to know one another, to love one another, and to be living examples to each other of what it means to be Christ. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. For you guys, uh, a certificate and a Bible for them. So, uh, and this is Shauna who works with our children. So, just so you know who our awesome kids ministry you guys are. There you go. Excellent. Love you guys. Bless you. Awesome. All right. Well, good morning. Good morning. So we've got. Uh, We've got the word ahead of us. So let's open up our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. Such a great, a uh, lot of great things happening today in, in church. So just the worship, the dedication of children. We've got communion today. So probably as you were walking in, you received a cup. And if you didn't, don't worry. We, uh, we can pass some more out later. So um, I just want to mention something um, just because I haven't yet, but, you know, we're, we're kind of filling in our services. We've got uh, some more chairs that we're going to be bringing in and squeezing in a little bit tighter, but we, we have a growing church, which is glory to God. Praise the Lord. Amen. And, um, and thank you, Steve, for just 
getting people nestled in where they need to be, but um, we're really praying as elders uh, as how to continue to move forward as the church continues to grow, um, and um, we're praying through going to multiple services, going to two services. Um, we want to let you know that just so you're aware. It's not anytime soon. We're trying to kind of hold back as long as we can because just being one one service on Sunday is so good. But just so you're aware of it, it's something we're praying through and thinking through. Um, part of that, though, is just the continued increase of servants in the church, especially for kids' ministry. We've got more and more kids being born, more and more kids coming into the church, and so we need servants there and in all the different areas. So, amen? Isn't that cool? It's exciting. So, um, but today we, uh, we're here, we're together as one, and we've got God's word. So, First Peter chapter 2, um, we're going to continue on through our series. We are in the midst of a pretty important section of this letter from the Apostle Peter. Um, let me remind you that Peter was a man who had quite the turnaround story. He had a life that many Christians often relate to because Jesus was able to take this proud and brash fisherman and, and turn him into a gracious and humble fisher of men. And there was a 180 degree turn in Peter's life because of knowing Jesus. And look, no doubt Peter's life with Jesus was a process, but what you can do is you could compare the Peter from the Gospels for instance, to the Peter of the book of Acts, and you see an entirely changed man. You can see how he just, by God's spirit and by God's grace upon this man, he, he was changed. And that change, that spirit, and that grace is available to each and every one of us today. And so as an apostle and as a shepherd, Peter has been giving instruction to the church. He is been speaking to us as elect exiles, right? How we live out our faith in the midst of this world. And we too are a people who have been changed by God, who have experienced the Spirit's transformation and the grace that has formed us. And we are now set apart in the midst of a world that, look, doesn't always honor and submit to God, but we, as God's people, as we learned about last week, are to be people of honor and submission even to unholy people, even to people who we might not agree with. Now, this is our calling as representatives of Jesus Christ, that because honor and submission are the way of Jesus and the way of his kingdom, then how we live out our various relationships in this world ought to be shaped by our example that we find in Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ is absolutely the most honorable and submissive man who has ever lived. And so when we think about honor and when we think about uh, submission, we look to Jesus as our example. Because, look, he did it first and he did it best. Amen? Amen. So last week, we learned about honor and submission to human institutions, a.k.a. governments. And I was encouraged this morning to hear several people uh, speak about how much they enjoyed last week's message. I, I got to have coffee this week with uh, one of our young adults, and I thought something he said was hilarious. He said, you know, my favorite verse in the Bible is Romans 12.1, and my least favorite verse in the Bible is Romans 13.1. And if you, if you get that, 
uh, it's pretty funny because Romans 13, one says, uh, submit yourself to every form of human government, basically. And, and so, but our takeaway last week as we talked about submission to government, submission to laws and ordinances, is that our takeaway was as followers of Jesus, we should never needlessly disobey laws and government, but rather for the Lord's sake, we should submit ourselves to every human institution. And the way that that looks is that we honor everyone. Like no one is to the exclusion of the honor that Christians are to give. And that includes government leaders that we might not like or we might not agree with, but because we believe that God has appointed them according to his divine purpose and will, then for the Lord's sake, we can give honor and submission. That's what we learned last week. Now, it's super important, right, church, that we understand that all of our submission in any kind of relationship is ultimately a submission to the Lord. All of our submission is ultimately a submission to the Lord. What we're saying is we're saying, God, your ways are higher than our ways. We trust your design for how relationships are going to flourish even when they don't make sense in our natural minds. And so today we're going to go down the list of relationships in 1 Peter chapter 2. The next relationship we're going to find instruction about is how we're to live our lives with honor and submission in our working relationships, on the job, right? Now, that is included even when we're not working necessarily in the best conditions, like maybe you don't like your job, or when we're not working with the best people, like maybe you don't like your boss. We're going to learn today what honor and submission looks like in those situations. And then when we come to the end of our instruction today, we're going to look again at how Jesus is our greatest example. That when it comes to honor and submission, Jesus did it first, and he did it best, and so we follow him. So let's read the text now. You guys ready? We're all locked in. We're all ready to go. Okay, Bible's open. 1 Peter chapter 2, let me read from verse 18 down to verse 21. It says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, these are some words that naturally are not easy to follow. But Lord, we just thank you that we're not supposed to follow you by our natural capacities. But God, you have given us your spirit and your grace to transform us, that we might walk like you. We might follow you in your steps, Jesus. And so God, lead us now as we learn from your word what it looks like to live submitted lives in our working relationships. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Peter addresses servants 
And while doing so, he says some things about masters. Now, before we jump into this, uh, you might be wondering why the Bible is even using these terms, servants and masters. And perhaps you have a translation that uses for that word servant, the word slave, which actually would be a very, very accurate word there. And if we as people respond strongly to, right, the S word, that word submission. How about when the Bible talks about submissive slaves? Right? You might be wondering even, is the Bible promoting slavery? Maybe you've even had that question or somebody's asked you, isn't there slavery in the Bible? Doesn't the Bible promote slavery? Now, here's what I'll say to that. Without going too far into depth, but I think it is worth noting because the Bible does not promote slavery among humanity, but the Bible does recognize slavery as something that exists among fallen humanity. Now look, there's a difference between recognizing something and promoting something. The Bible never promotes slavery, but it does recognize slavery as something that exists among fallen people living in a fallen world. And therefore, the Lord has instruction to us in his word about how to live in a fallen world. And so the other thing we have to also recognize in talking about this relationship of masters and slaves is the cultural conduct context of masters and slaves in the days that Peter was writing this letter. This was, remember, the first century. This was sometime shortly after Jesus had been crucified and risen from the dead. This is in the midst of the Roman Empire. And historians estimate that at this time there were upwards to 60 million slaves living in the Roman Empire. Now, slavery was almost as common as being free. And the reason for this is because of how many lands and people groups the Romans conquered. If you know anything of history, how the Romans just exploded on the map. And they conquered people, and they turned those people into slaves. Now, but sometimes people were slaves in the Roman Empire because they chose that status. They would sell themselves into slavery, and this was sort of a way to make money and get ahead in life. They would work hard, and they would earn wages in a lot of ways they, that they wouldn't have been able to do had they been free. And so they would sell themselves into slavery, and then once they made enough money, they would redeem themselves out of slavery because they thought in their minds it was better to be, um, it, it would have been better to be uh, rich and free than poor and free. And so they sort of chose that as a career path to get there, right? Kind of interesting. And then finally, there were those who were born into the status of slavery. Now, does that in any way sort of condone slavery? Does that in any way promote it? No. Because you see, slavery in any regard is still something that is absolutely broken and a result of sin in this fallen world that we live in. We could never say that slavery is good and just. See, but I will say this, just as we're looking at this idea within the first century context that Peter's writing, that slavery in Rome 
is not exactly like the bitter and ruthless slavery that probably comes to your mind. As an American living in the West, as you think about the um, horrible history that we even have as a nation's early history where there was slavery toward a particular race. Uh, or, or like what is happening today in many parts of the world because slavery is not just something of our distant past. It is something of our present. And even today, there is a form of slavery that exists called sex trafficking. There is brutal and horrible forms of slavery and in no way does the scripture condone or promote or not even necessarily speak into those things. But in the time that Peter was writing, he was writing to servants. He was writing to slaves. But the word that is used there in the Greek was the word oiketos. And that word refers to a servant of the house. Now these were doctors, nurses, teachers, chefs, landscapers, artists, and musicians. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, that's what I do for work right? Exactly. The, the first century Roman Empire slaves did the kind of work that many of us do today as employees. And what did the free people do? Well, they managed their slaves like, like an employer would manage their employees. And now you're thinking, I knew it. My job is slavery, I have to be honest. I have to be honest with, yeah, the Bible does talk about slavery. It doesn't promote it, um, but it does recognize it. I hope that gives you some clarity, especially uh, in our day when people want to come against the authority of Scripture and want to say that the Scripture um, is a old and broken system. No, it's, there's an old and broken system, and it's called sin, and nothing's ever changed. And so the application of what we're going to look at today, where the Roman Empire slave and master relationship, it actually has more to do with sort of the idea that we would experience today with an employer and an employee. The, the same principles would apply that, that the relationship between a master and servant in the first century has more to do with that than it does have to do with some of the more... Um, terrible forms of slavery we've seen in our world and in our nation. Now, what the scriptures do is they teach the people of God how to live like Jesus in the midst of brokenness and injustice. And so, isn't that what the gospel teaches us? Isn't that how we are led by the Spirit, how to live faithfully for Jesus by the power of the Spirit in the midst of a broken world? And it's going to be that way. It's going to be that way until we go home to be with Jesus or until Jesus comes back to us and makes every wrong right. Where we find himself in his eternal, secure, and perfect kingdom. But until then, we have to figure out what it looks like to live faithfully within the faulty systems of man. And that's what we're learning today. So 
Let's look at verse 18 again, but instead of using those words, servants and masters, let's read with the words employee and employer. So verse 18, employee, be subject to your employer with all respect. Makes it a little bit more personal now, doesn't it? Because as free people living in America in the 21st century, we don't often, we, we don't think of ourselves as slaves that work for masters over us. But, but when you start talking about our relationship of submission as employees on the job, okay, then we're touching on something. Then some things apply. But can I just, for a moment, can I just challenge this thinking? Can I challenge that as Christians living in America in the 21st century, we actually should be thinking of ourselves as slaves and not just as employees in the modern sense. Um, sure, you might not be a slave in your work or at your job, that's what I'm not talking about, but you're definitely a slave in your relationship with God. Look at verse 16, just back up a little bit in verse 16. It says, live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants, living as slaves of God. So if you are a Christian, then you are a bond slave, and God is your master. Right? And Christians have experienced this paradox. That true freedom is found when being bound as slaves to Jesus Christ. You see, if we were to talk about our relationship with God as, you know, we're God's employee and he is our employer, it doesn't really cut it, right? But when we talk about our relationship with God as we are slaves of God and God is our master, to the person who knows that those whom the Son has set free are free indeed, will know that being a slave to God is what makes you completely free. And without the Spirit of God as our teacher, that might sound absolutely foolish and contradictory, right? You're trying to say that the greatest freedom that you can have is to be ruled and ordered by another? Yeah. But can I add one more thing? That we are all slaves to someone or to something, See, the Bible says that if you're not a slave to God, which saves your soul, then you're a slave to sin and a slave to your fleshly desires. Paul says this in Romans 6.16. He says, do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are a slave to the one whom you obey, either to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? And Jesus said, whoever practices sin is a slave to sin. Every single person upon the earth is a slave. Just what are you a slave to? You are not free, when we think of freedom, we are not free by doing whatever we want to do. See, doing whatever seems right in your own eyes is actually the worst form of slavery there is. The greatest form of slavery is to live only for yourself. 
See, because Romans 6, 6 says, we know, Christians know, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. See, when we say that God has redeemed us, when we use that language, we're using the language of being purchased out of slavery. But when God redeems us, we come under a new master. God is our new master. And as our new master, he happens to call us his friends and his children too, which is amazing. So the Christian experience has as much to do with slavery as it has to do with freedom. Because if you've died to self and you're following Jesus, then, then the redeemed can say so. The redeemed can say that slavery to God is ultimate freedom. Amen? Let me try to summarize that for you really fast. The world teaches that true freedom is fighting for the highest position. The Bible teaches that true freedom is submission to the lowest position. So let's take us through now some application of our working relationship. Verse 18, let me, let me get into sort of the nuts and bolts of this now, of how we live this out. Employee, be subject to your employer with all respect. So Christians should be the best employees. They should work the hardest and complain the least. Uh, they should show respect, all kinds of respect to all people. If there is anyone in any kind of position of leadership over you, then you should respect that leader, and your respect for them is going to be demonstrated by your subjection to them. Like the troop who is subject to its commander, or like a ship is subject in its order within the fleet. How in our everyday relationships, we've learned that order is necessary for things to work. So at work, if you are an employee, be subject to your employer. Let me just give you an example. And this was an example that I heard somebody give to me that once they had come to Christ, they were sort of began to receive conviction about this. That if your employer gives you a 30-minute break, take a 30-minute break not 35 minutes. Don't rob your employer of their five minutes of work. And look, that's, that's not being legalistic. That is showing honor and subjection. And you're like, sheesh, I came to church and I'm being preached about what I do at work. Yeah, right? Because doesn't the Bible speak into every aspect of our life? And, and if much of your life is spent at work, isn't it? A lot of your life is spent at work. Don't you think that the Bible would have some things to say about how we live that out for Jesus? Well, Daniel, you don't know my work situation, right? And well, you work at church. Like, you work for the Lord. If you only knew what I had to go through at work, then, well, right? Well, here's the first thing about that kind of thinking, if, if anyone's thinking that kind of way. Um, because I used to think that way at a certain point where, you know, I used to think, man, that pastor, he just gets to kind of do whatever he wants, you know, works for the Lord. But pastors aren't the only ones working for the Lord, you know. Every one of us 
are working for the Lord. Every single person who works, works for the Lord because we're a royal priesthood, remember? And when we're at our workplace, you are salt and light in the world. You are ambassadors of reconciliation for God. You are working for God and to God. So your attitude at your work is going to change when you adopt this kind of thinking. I'm going to read a passage from, um, a parallel passage from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. And I've uh, quoted it in the New Living Translation because I think it says it really well. It says this, slaves... Obey your masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. And so in the thinking of both the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, whether slave or free, servant or master, employer or employee, we should remember that all of our work is done as to Christ. That you don't work hard simply because your boss is watching you, you work hard because the Lord is watching you. That when you live when the, with the mindfulness that God is watching you at work, it might bring about some of the needful changes in the way that you work. You know, we talk a lot about work ethic. <laughs> Where does your ethic for work come from? As a Christian, it ought to be the best, best form of ethics, which comes from the Bible, from the Word of God. Now, if after hearing all of that, you, you still, you're like, yeah, okay, I hear that, but still have an objection, because it's like, but you don't know the people that I work for, right? The, these people, they don't live for God, and my working conditions, they're, they're not very good. Like, it's a dark place, You don't understand. It's easy for you to stand up there at a pulpit and say, work hard for the Lord in your workplace. You don't know where I work or what I do. If you still think that you're having a hard time submitting yourself to your employer because your employer is a real piece of work, look at verse 18. Again, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Man, if the Bible was just easy to obey, (laughs) right? Like if it was easy to follow, this is challenging stuff. What Peter is saying here, is Peter actually saying that when I am treated poorly by those that I work for, I'm still to submit myself to them. Yeah, that's what he's saying. Is he saying that I should submit myself to people who unjustly cause me to suffer? Yeah, that's what he says there. Peter is saying to the servant of God who is in the service of man that this is not the natural thinking of mankind. These are the words of God, but notice here that he's saying, yes, that is what you're to do. But isn't Peter also saying something indirectly here to masters? I mean, to the employer. 
And, and maybe that's more of the position you find yourself. You're sitting there and being like, well, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not an employee. I work for myself or whatever. Like I'm my own boss or you don't have anyone over you. you you're in a position of leadership. You have employees working for you. You're the boss. Well, if you're in a position of authority, Peter is saying something here to you as well. What, what's he saying? Indirectly here, he's saying, be good and gentle. It's implied that the good and the gentle masters are better than the unjust masters. And that word for unjust is, can also be translated unreasonable. It comes from this Greek word scoliosis. You know, like scoliosis of the back. It's like serpented back. It's like if, if, if as an employer you have like a crooked spine, <laughs> no backbone, don't be that way. Do not be unjust. Do not be harsh. Do not un be unreasonable in your position of authority. Now, one of the coolest things to have is to be able to work for a Christian. And if you're a Christian and people work for you, then you should be getting awards as the best employer to work for, like number one boss. You should have a coffee mug this big that just says number one boss who loves Jesus and is good and gentle. So like all those words fitting on that, right? Number one boss. I have a friend in Santa Barbara who leads a large public affairs firm in multiple locations, and he's been reviewed and awarded as the best company to work for, for like consecutive years, because he does the coolest things for his employees. Like he, he makes sure that the people that work for him have so much fun working for him. And so if you're an employer, you should make it easier, not harder, for your employees to honor you and to be subject to you why? Because of your goodness and your gentleness. If you are in a position of authority, we don't rule over people. It is with our goodness and with our gentleness that we are to lead people. Why? Because we don't get our leadership cues from the world. But you find your example in Jesus Christ who called himself the servant of all. And so these principles for masters and employers, as picked up indirectly, but Peter is saying something directly here to the servants. He's saying to these servants that they needed to live faithfully in the place that they were at the time of their calling, that they might not have been in the best working conditions. They not, might not have worked for the best people because they were working for lost and broken people who were in sin. And so what the believer is to do in a lost and broken world how is a servant to submit to the injustice of their master? We'll look at verse 19 and 20. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And remember, Peter's talking to Christians who are serving in all kinds of work and these are doctors nurses teachers chefs musicians artists these are people who love maybe loved what they did but maybe didn't have the best conditions where their masters were not kind to them caused suffering toward them especially maybe once they had become christians 
what do you mean you're not going to worship the gods that we worship in this house anymore? You know, because they're servants of the house. These servants oftentimes lived with their masters. What do you mean you're not going to participate in the things that I participate in anymore? And so maybe there was suffering that was coming upon these new believers in Christ who were servants. And so what Peter says is, how do we keep a Christ-like attitude in these less than ideal conditions? And Peter says, be mindful of God. Be mindful of God. There is so much there. And, And Peter, as Peter is saying this, He's saying that it's possible to endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. But Peter didn't always think this way, right? Was Peter always mindful of this? Think about how when Jesus endured his suffering here on earth. Think about that message that Peter's giving us. Be mindful of God when you suffer unjustly. That's a far cry from Peter's thinking in the Gospels, Because Peter's thinking in the Gospels, remember when Jesus foretold how he would unjustly suffer at the hands of the religious institution of the Jews, and he would suffer unjustly under political institution of the Romans. From both the government and the religion of that day, Jesus suffered unjustly on the cross. And when Jesus was telling Peter that this was going to happen, he was prophesying, foretelling Peter about all of this, what did Peter say? Peter came to Jesus and said, he rebuked him and said, you can't do that. Like, no way, Lord, that won't happen to you. I will fight for you. I will die for you. There's no way, Jesus, that you are going to suffer and die on a cross. You cannot subject yourself to the hypocrisy of religion. Why, Jesus, would you ever think to subject yourself to the corruption of Rome? Jesus, what are you talking about that you're going to subject yourself to death on a cross? No way, Lord. You're not going to do that. I will make sure it does not happen And Jesus was rebuked by Peter for thinking that way. And do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? He said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God. (laughs) Now this side of the cross, Peter can say in verse 19, with true spiritual understanding, for this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Jesus told Peter in Matthew 16, 23, when Peter rebuked him for the thought of suffering, you are not mindful of the things of God, but you're only thinking as a mere man. And then the words that come immediately after that incident are Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 to 26. Let me read these. They might sound familiar to you. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Pretty wild, huh? What Jesus is saying and and what Peter says, 
now that he has learned this side of the cross, is that if you are mindful of God, you can endure anything. This is because you have thought deeply of the hostility that Jesus unjustly endured to save sinners just like you and me. That he suffered outside the camp, as Hebrews says. On the fringes of society, Jesus was pushed out by the institutions of his day. And he hung alone on a cross. And the writer of Hebrews says, we will go out there to be with him. We become sojourners and exiles while knowing that we will suffer in this world, knowing that we will suffer in the injustice of certain institutions, we know that we are going to a home in heaven where there is no suffering. And when you have a shift in your mind to realize that suffering is only for a moment, and no one wants to suffer. I'm not standing up here preaching it. I love suffering, you guys. It's great. Try some. Like, I don't like suffering. No one does. I don't want to stand up here and pretend even that I've suffered greatly in this life. But I know, as I've had just my share of suffering, as you have had your share of suffering, that in the midst of suffering, there's a grander purpose at play. That there is a Savior who understands because he suffered in a way that no human will ever have to suffer. And that when we suffer, we are put into fellowship with Christ. We find our common experience with the one to whom we find our example. Because undeserved suffering was the path of Jesus that allows for our redemption. So let's look at verse 20 to see how Peter emphasizes that further. He says, what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So he makes it really clear that if you suffer because of the penalty of your sin, because of the consequences of your sin, like, for instance, a person might get fired from their job, and yeah, maybe they got fired because they were a Christian, or they got fired because they were not a good employee, Sometimes Christians want to make excuses and say, I got pushed out because I was a Christian or maybe just because you weren't honorable and subjected and you weren't doing a good job. See, it's commended by God when we suffer for righteousness' sake, when we're doing the very best, when we're leading the charge of example of honor and submission and hard work, um, and the Christian gets fired for that or the Christian suffers under that in the workplace, that has great reward from God. If a Christian gets fired for stealing, that's what happens when you steal. If a Christian gets fired for sharing the gospel with their coworkers, that's what happens when you do good and suffer for it. See, there's no credit to suffering for unrighteousness, but there's great credit to suffering for the righteous sake of Jesus. And remember that Jesus said, you should expect it. You should expect it that you do it unto the Lord verse 19 says, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. I love that. Because what this verse does is it, it puts all of our subjection 
in comparison with Jesus. And when that happens, all we can do is humble ourselves in the sight of God. That, that when we understand that when we submit ourselves and we suffer for it, that we're being like Jesus. And this is what you've been called to. Did somebody tell you that when you come to Jesus that life would be so much easier? <laughs> Peter seems to show us that life is a paradox. And don't get me wrong, following Jesus, it is the best life you can live. But I would be hard-pressed to say that it's an easy life where we live within this paradox of life where freedom means slavery, where success means submission, where grace is found in suffering under injustice. This is the Christianity of the Bible. This is what you have been called to because biblical Christianity does have a theology for suffering. See, the, the versions of Christianity that say the Christian must never suffer is demonic. Jesus says, that's a hindrance to me. Get behind me with that mindset. There's no promise of the end of suffering until we get to heaven. So don't believe that terrible false teaching that tells you that if you're suffering, it's because you're not in the will of God. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Such teaching knows very little of the cross, which is the foremost example of suffering in the will of God. So how do you know when you're a servant of God? How do you know that you're living as this kind of elect exile? You know you are a servant of God when you're treated like one. Jesus said, I have set for you an example a slave is no greater than its master. Let me read to you in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 13. says, Beloved, do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you to test you as though something were strange were happening to you. Don't you love that? What is this suffering? But insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. See, there's something about what the Bible calls the fellowship of suffering with Christ, that a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted him, why should we think any different as his servants? So this is the reminder for us. Paul reminded the church in Thessalonica, he says, when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that you were gonna suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. See, I told you, just as you know, and in the section before that, he says, you were destined for this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are destined for suffering at times under injustice because Paul often reminded the church that suffering is part of the salvation package. Suffering was not God's plan B for salvation, you know. Suffering was God's plan A for salvation. And just look at Jesus on the cross. And that's how we're gonna end here. We're just gonna look to Jesus. Look at verse 19. For to this you have been called because Jesus also suffered for you, leaving you as an example so that you might follow in his steps. Do you know what that word example is? It's like uh, having tracing paper or how a teacher will write the letters 
on a piece of paper and then the student, the child, will come and trace over the letters in order to learn their alphabets. Or, or how a artist will paint a painting and the student will watch every movement of the hand of how the painting is being done so that they can learn for themselves. And that is how Jesus is our teacher. He goes first and he does it best. He writes the ABCs of Christianity and we go in and we try to trace and follow the ABCs of Christianity just like Jesus wrote them. And, and it might not look so good, it might not look so perfect at first, but over time, our work is going to look more and more like the work of Jesus. Our life is going to look more and more like the life of Jesus. When it says that we follow in his steps, the image that is to be had is how Jesus would be walking with his footprints being set. Sort of like if you've ever been walking through the snow with your children and, and your, your footprints leave these divots, and then the child comes and steps into those divots after. That is the picture we get of walking in the steps of Jesus. He goes first, he does it best, and when it comes to suffering, how would we ever think that we could walk that alone? But the fact that you can just follow behind Jesus and put your feet where his feet go, where you can learn from him, that's what it is. That's, that's Christianity. That's play and follow the leader. So let's play follow the leader. Philippians 2.15 says that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked, uh, a world that has scoliosis, among whom you shine as lights in the world. We live as lights of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand up together.